Hello and welcome to the Sweet Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael Hall. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. How are we doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it's been a long time since we spoke, or it certainly seems like it anyway. Christmas went by in an absolute flash, as it always does. And um, we've we've kind of found ourselves in 2019 without really realising it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, you've got to look at how much has changed since we last spoke. And it's not a huge amount if you look at the Premier League table. It's virtually identical. I think only Bournemouth have moved by one by more than one position. So it, it doesn't necessarily tell the full story, though, because there's been a lot of action over the festive period, hasn't there? There has indeed. There was Manchester City's capitulation and Liverpool's stroll to stretch the lead at the top until the game of the season at the Etihad last Thursday. We'll get on to that shortly. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, there's maybe a title rival in Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, there's the unsurprising reinvention of Manchester United and a right old battle at the bottom with all but one team doing something positive in recent weeks. And we'll be splitting the show into two episodes as we want to review each side's first half of the season and look at what's next for each of them as well. And obviously there's the catch-up to the Championship, a trip to Portugal and, of course, a roundup of the FA Cup third round. But as we said, there's only one place to start and that is in Manchester where the top two met and it truly was a spectacle. It was. It was, for me, the best Premier League game in a long, long time. It, it had everything, didn't it? It was played at such an incredible pace. The crowd were, were raucous and it was nice to see that at the Etihad because it's not necessarily something that you would associate with Manchester City in, in, in a normal game, is it? No, you're absolutely right. And I think you know that, that not only added to the occasion, but it also seemed to pump everybody up as well. The game was played at such a frenetic pace and that was from the word go from both clubs and I'll be honest I think that was as good as Manchester City have played all season uh, I think it's it's probably easy to say that because I think at times they have been below par this season and you know that's still probably beating teams 4 or 5 nil as well which kind of says it all but I think, you know, we've obviously seen them in recent weeks lose a couple of games as well. And I think this was not only important to to get the win, but just to stop Liverpool from stretching the lead further as well. And I think, you know, we both spoke at the time about what it would do for the rest of the Premier League season if Liverpool were to go and win that game. Yeah, it's your typical six-pointer. And you don't often hear that at the top end of the Premier League, do you? If I think if Liverpool had won, they would have been 10 points clear. And I'll be honest, I don't think that Manchester City would have come back yeah. from that. As it stands, the gap's down to four. And... It just shows how much of a swing there is on one game. And I know that nobody knows what's going to happen between now and the end of the season. But what it has made for is an even more exciting title race than what I think any of us really anticipated. Nobody expected Manchester City to lose those games against Crystal Palace, against Leicester. And I don't think that anyone probably expected Liverpool to be where they were either. And I, I don't think that anyone at any point this season expected City to be anywhere outside the top two which is where they found themselves for, for, for a decent amount towards the end or decent amount of time towards the end of December so it's been brilliant it's been incredibly exciting and I think that we need to probably look a little bit into the mechanics of the game the reason for the result and, and there were a couple of massive decisions as I think we we should probably address what happened with Vincent Company in the first half was it a uh, a red card for you? Um, I, I think it probably was, to be honest. I think the the problem with company is he almost gets away with it because he's not very good at tackling. It's almost <laughs> recognised that he's not. Probably similar to, you know, we always talk about Paul Scholes can't tackle or couldn't tackle. And I think he probably got away with a little bit because of that. And I think companies he's definitely had his moments. Certainly over the last couple of years, he's lost that little bit of pace that he had. And, you know, he didn't really need any pace for this one. He just was reckless, went over the ball and... Uh, you know, he 
he didn't. I think he could have just blocked it. I think that was the frustrating thing with it. Yeah, I think it was a red card all day long, and I understand what he said. The Salah's pace would have taken the ball past him. That doesn't mean that you can foul him, though. <laughs> that's not that's not how it works. A justification for a foul doesn't mean it's most, not a foul. Most players will get past him with pace now. So is that all he's going to do for the rest of his career? Well, that's it. And and I suppose the good thing from a Manchester City point of view is had Salah gone past. You would have probably backed Edison to come out and take the ball off him yeah, somehow. He's so he's so good with his feet. But we need to obviously talk about the goals as well. Sergio Aguero took his goal brilliantly, and and why would you expect anything else? And I I think that Liverpool's goal was was really under underappreciated by a lot of people. The, the the ball with his wrong foot from Trent Alexander Arnold to pick out Andrew Robertson. It was a great run. It was a great header. And for me, I didn't have to do anything really. And it's just what we've come to expect from those two. And and they are so pivotal for Liverpool. I know we're going to come on and speak about them in a little bit more detail shortly. Um, now. Sane got a lot of plaudits in this game and a lot of people said how brilliant he was. I thought he was terrible. You were it, were you? I, honestly, up until he scored that goal, I texted you while the game was on and said I couldn't believe how bad he'd been. His first touch was horrendous. Um, there were so many times where he didn't manage to get the ball under control and, and he found himself in a lot of space. And I don't think that one finish should mask a really poor 89 and a half minutes. It was obviously a very well-taken goal, but he looked unplayable at times during late November early December I'm not really sure what's happened there but City seemed to be struggling to play through the left hand side and I don't know whether that's because of the fact that Benjamin Mendy's not playing and, and obviously they've they've had trouble with, troubles with with Zinchenko and, and they just don't look very good at the moment in that area but Sane needs to book his ideas up because another performance like that from him and, and I I don't really think he would have deserved to to start the next game. No, I think you're right, and I think the difficulty is is he can't defend for Tuffy, and and that's you know it's it's not his job. But in modern day football, where the fullbacks push on, uh, particularly when you're playing a Liverpool side with Alexander Arnold and, and Robertson, you have to be prepared to do some work in in the other on the other side of the pitch. And I think you know if you look at Manchester City overall. Aguero led from the front from that the pressure that he was putting on the defence when they were on the ball there was times where Liverpool just had to play it across the back line because they couldn't find a pass and I think you know to expect someone like Leroy Sane to do that constantly is probably not the right thing to do that said as we've just said he's a professional footballer he gets paid a lot of money to do it and you know that's part of his job and if he can't do that then potentially Guardiola has to look at him for these type of games and you look at the way that Bernardo Silva played in that game he's in a similar position to Leroy Sane albeit on a different side of the pitch but he was everywhere and you would probably argue if you looked at the two of them that Sane's better physically he's probably got more about him in terms of lasting I know Bernardo Silva gets withdrawn in a lot of games and you you look at the amount of work that he put in for his team and, and also you look at the performance of someone like Fernandinho and that's why people are so up on Manchester City's chances of, of, of hauling Liverpool back in. I, I I want to get your opinion on Liverpool. What next? Obviously, it is a proper title race, but do you think that this would have been the league if, if, if they'd have avoided defeat, let alone lost the game? I, I would imagine... <laughs> Yeah, I would imagine so. Like we said before, I think you know having a ten-point lead at this stage of the season, playing some of the football they're playing as well, they don't necessarily seem to have, have dipped off at any point. Obviously, this was um, coming through the rest of 2018 for this season without losing a game, so they're clearly working towards something. And I don't necessarily see that losing this game is going to really impact them. That said, they've got to go to I think it's Brighton this weekend, and that is that's a tough place to go. And I think having 
sorry, having lost in the FA Cup as well, which we'll get onto later, potentially there is a, a negative effect within the club. That said, they could easily bounce back now, and I think if they do bounce back, they keep players fit. I think they've probably got a few players coming back from injury as well. They've managed to sort the defence out and become a lot more consistent. So from that point of view, if this was last season, the season before, yes, they probably would have dropped off some. This season, I think they've probably got the grit, determination and confidence to go on and, and, and win it. And I think you know, there will be a title race. It's inevitable. But naturally, you know, they, they could falter. Of course they could. And we've we've decided to have a little look at what each team really needs in the January transfer window, what we think will happen or, or, or may happen. Now, on Liverpool, you'd probably argue the likelihood of them investing heavily in January is pretty unlikely, given how much they spent in the summer. They've got the likes of Lallana, Roxley, Chamberlain, who you would imagine will be back at some point towards the end of the season, maybe. And the summer transfers that they made have worked brilliantly. I think the main area for them is uh, a regular partner for Virgil van Dijk. Uh, my worry would also be in the fullback positions. If there were injuries to either Andrew Robertson or Trent Alexander-Arnold, then I'm not convinced that Joe Gomez is anywhere near as effective. And in Moreno, he's a liability. And, <laughs> and, and he is an accident waiting to happen. I think Liverpool fans would probably prefer somebody like James Milner to slot in at left-back. Yeah. But then straight away, you lose the emphasis on being able to press the way that they were able to in, in, in the game against Manchester City with him, Jordan Henderson, Genie Wijnaldum in there. Well, we you know we saw that in the FA Cup, didn't we? And, and I think Klopp probably alluded to that as well, that the, the players simply weren't good enough and uh, that, that came in to replace them. And I, I think that's probably a bigger question for Liverpool. And I think when you look at uh, certainly Manchester City's squad, you know, Chelsea, possibly even Arsenal, Manchester you know, they've all got more depth throughout the squad and I think Liverpool have a fantastic start in eleven. They probably have, you know, two or three players on the bench that could easily slot into any other club, but then equally they've got a number of players that would be on the periphery of just a top ten club full full stop. Yeah, you're right. And we need to obviously mention City as well. I think that we've mentioned him already they need somebody who can do a similar job to Fernandinho it's not a coincidence that they suffered their worst slump in yep. the last two years when he was obviously missing for a few games last month and they just look like a completely different team with him in the side they've been linked with and I'm going to struggle here with the pronunciation but Ndombele from Leon, who you would imagine would probably fit Guardiola's tactical philosophy perfectly it's just is a player going to go there knowing that they're probably not going to be first choice every week, but they will cover for Fernandinho in those times where he may be injured or suspended. I think one of the big questions for Manchester City is what do they do about the Champions League? Because for Guardiola in particular, that is possibly the most important thing to him. And, it, you know, they've got a lot to do in this league still, even though they're just four points behind. They can't afford to lose another game. And realistically, they could go the rest of the season unbeaten, but to do that, and also challenging the Champions League is going to be a really, really difficult proposition for them. And probably similar to Liverpool, really, but I think they would take winning the league over the Champions League this season. So it would be interesting to see between the two of them which direction they go in in terms of the two competitions. I think Liverpool will put all of their eggs in the Premier League basket. I don't think they care that much about the, 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 the Champions League. The main thing for them is trying to get that elusive title under, the, under their belt because it's been so long. Uh, I think you saw from the way that Klopp managed the side in the FA Cup the other day that he will probably prioritise the league and, and you you can't really blame him for that given how good they were in the Champions League last season. I think if you asked any Liverpool fan, they've won the Champions League in 2005, they've been to the final since then and I think they're, they're purely, purely interested in win, winning the Premier League. On Manchester City's side, I think they have to be 
they have to be more interested in the Champions League because it's the one trophy that's eluded them so far since all of this money came into the club and since the, the, the players that they've had there have been much better. You would argue that Kevin De Bruyne coming back will be like a new signing and I think that that may be what Manchester City need to try and get them over the line in both competitions. But they've not been perfect so far in this season's competition. They've lost games in the group stage against against Lyon and they've they've dropped points against teams that you would expect them to beat. So Guardiola's going to have to do something different. I think it's going to be intriguing to see what that is. Absolutely right. Well, let's move on to Tottenham Hotspur. And I think it's it's almost unthinkable that Spurs at any point this season would push themselves up second. But thanks to those Manchester City losses, that's where they found themselves following comfortable 3-0 away win at Cardiff, which I don't think can be underestimated. It's a very good result. And it could have been so much better had they not lost to Wolves at Wembley in the previous game. And I think, you know, having been in spectacular form, you know, they took the lead in that game after just 15 minutes. And they just... they um. They capitulated in that last 15 minutes, sorry, and I think from there, does that kind of tell the story of how Spurs' season may pan out? A relatively compact squad, uh, you know, an injury or two away from trouble, surely? I, I think that you have to give Wolves credit. I think they managed the game brilliantly. The way that they came into it in the last sort of 15-20 minutes showed Tottenham's deficiencies, but also showed why they're a force to be reckoned with. And, and you look at the league table, it's it's not like they've lost to a team in the bottom three. It's They've they've lost to a team who've spent as much money as most in, 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 in recent years. And I don't think that Pochettino can have too many complaints. The most important thing was bouncing back, which they did against Cardiff. And um, I... I <laughs> it's such an easy thing that every time that Tottenham lose a game people will blame their small squad and the fact they made no signings in the summer but actually every time they win a game people talk about the togetherness yeah. and the fact that nobody else has come in so I think that we need to stop looking at it as an issue and and, and probably stop looking at it as a positive either and, and, and just sort of see it for what it is I think that they will have games that they'll lose they'll have games that they'll win I don't think that they'll win the league I think they probably will, will run out of steam and that's not necessarily down to the squad size it's more down to the fact that the majority of their players went the distance in the World Cup in the summer and, and I think they probably had more players than any other team in Europe who, who got to the last, yep. last four so Pochettino's done incredibly well to manage that. I think that that there will be changes in the summer. I don't know whether they'll be wholesale or not. There's obviously a lot going off, going on off the pitch, and and we keep referring to that because it's almost been swept to one side, given how well they've been doing. But you wonder whether, as Neil Warnock said, they will actually be at a disadvantage by moving into their new stadium, or or, or whether it will benefit them. Yeah, I mean that that is a huge question, and I think ultimately the big question is when are they going to get in there anyway? Because there doesn't really seem to be a sign as to, to exactly when that's going to happen. But I think you know on on the overall bigger picture for Tottenham, they they would be content with Champions League qualification, I have no doubt, and, and potentially a trophy as well. And I think importantly for them, Pochettino's come out and you know whether it's been misinterpreted or not he has said that he wants to stay at the club and he wants to continue to build them and what a perfect block you know building block for him that they've got the new stadium and they just need they do need investment you know we can't use the excuse as a squad but for them to push up to th- those top two teams particularly Manchester City because I'm not sure Liverpool can necessarily sustain this for a period of time I think they do need to invest some money, whether that's just improving the squad as a whole rather than bringing in first-team players, I'm not sure. But Pochettino staying pretty much guarantees that the likes of Deli Ali, Son, Eriksson and Kane stay as well. And I think that's just as crucial as anything else. I think you're absolutely right. And he's already come out in the January transfer window so far and said that they're unlikely to sign anyone. 
you'd argue they've looked far better at filling the void that Kane has left when he's either been rested or injured. I, I think you look at players like Son. Lucas Moura has scored goals this season as well, and the, the issue is, is obviously that Son's going to go to the Asian Cup. The void may then reappear. Lorente's okay, but they have to change the way that they play, and I'm just not sure that that's going to benefit Tottenham long term. The difficulty in bringing anybody in is that they're always going to be playing second fiddle to Harry Kane, and you look at somebody like Vincent Janssen, who was banging the goals in over in Holland, they, they, they brought him over, and his confidence evaporated because he was spending so much time on the bench, and, and players will look at that, and they'll look at the, the amount of game time that, that Lorente's had, and, and actually, as much as Harry Kane's been injury-prone in past seasons, he's not missed that many games so far this season, and... and if that continues between now and the end of the season, I think that's where they'll struggle because no young player is going to want to go there and, and stall their career. I think they might have to promote from within. I, I still think they need a replacement for Moussa Dembele if he's going to leave. Eric Dyer is limited in there. Victor Wanyama has been injured forever. And as much as Harry Winks will do a job, I don't think that create... Completely different players. Yeah, exactly. Players. He's just... Creatively, he doesn't offer enough. And... There's been links with Ericsson leaving. I think that would be the one for me. If he was to go, then then they would really lose the heartbeat of that side. And they struggled with him out earlier in the season. And I don't know whether they would actually see it as a benefit because if they could get 200 million for him, then they can reinvest that in the squad. It's, it's really hard to say with Tottenham. You never really know. I think their priority, like you say, should be making sure that they're playing Champions League football in the new stadium next season. But they've given themselves a massive opportunity of reaching a final. And if they can get through to that final, there's absolutely no reason why they couldn't go into it and beat Manchester City. Absolutely right. And they are playing Chelsea in the semi-final. And they are fourth in the league after a fairly underwhelming festive period, it's fair to say. Uh, they've been made to work hard for their points with the win at Watford, a home win to Palace, and of course a draw at home to Southampton as well. Indeed, yeah. And, uh, you know, we've, we were talking the other day about their style of play and how it's, and we've spoken about it previously as well, it's, it's fairly one-dimensional. Uh, Sarri's got them working hard, he's got them in a system where he's, he's, you know, he's very confident that they can stick at it, but we've also spoken about the potential limitations and where that goes you know further on going forward because an exciting start to the season it's fair to say and, and they're dropping off now they're potentially leaving themselves open and I just wonder whether they'll continue to grind out the results and keep themselves in touching distance or whether they you know they continue to drop off with with Arsenal and Manchester United behind them in particular you know it, it, is there a danger that they'll fall out of these places? It's possible. It's just been a really strange season for Chelsea. They started like a house on fire. They roared their way to 12 Premier League games unbeaten. And then everything seemed to change on that 3-1 defeat at Spurs. They they just seemed to lack ideas after that. And, and, and like you say, the games at, at Christmas have been very difficult for them. I think that Sarri's left himself open because he hasn't been willing to make changes. And it was this sort of... <laughs> inability to be flexible at Napoli which cost him the title on a couple of occasions because he wasn't prepared to select from a larger squad he always tried to go with the same starting 11 or he'd make the odd change here and there and you'd argue that's probably what's cost him not only over there but that's what's cost him any potential tilt at the title this season because the players are tired the the, the intensity of the football that they play has made sure that they've 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 sort of begun to to lack energy if you like and I, I watched the game against Southampton and it was intriguing it was terrible but it was intriguing and <laughs> the the way that they try and play now is so direct they try and go through the middle Jorginho will bring the ball out and he will look for somebody with the back to goal which is why Giroud tends to suit the system and 
then they will look to work the ball to Hazard. And if that doesn't happen, they don't really have a plan B. Players like William Pedro are struggling in that side, and it's and and it's unsurprising given the the rigidity of his tactics. And let's face it, if we're spotting it, the the other clubs in the Premier League are going to probably spot it as well. And I think one of the big questions is, you know, you, you talk about the um, the the kind of intensity and and the the tiredness within the squad, etc. They've got players in that squad, the wider squad, who can come in and do a job. You only have to look at Hudson Odoi, who who we saw last night in the Carabao Cup, and he's potentially off. You know, Chelsea maybe haven't done enough to keep him. They haven't given him enough football, and it's clearly a talent. And they've always had great youth prospects. They've had a great academy. And you wonder why these players aren't getting more of a chance when, especially when you see in already in kind of December, January, there's players dropping off with tiredness. It's bonkers. When you look at the amount of Chelsea players that are out on loan, they must have so many players who could go in there and make a difference. You look at someone like Michi Batshuayi, who's a young, talented centre forward. At the moment, they've got two centre forwards at the club in Morata and Giroud, who have probably scored a... I don't know, between five or six Premier League goals between them so far this season. It's been really poor from that point of view. And and I just can't understand why they send all these players out on loan or sell these players when they've got such a pool of talent that, that they should just have a look at in the summer. And it doesn't really make sense long term. We know that it's not a model that's that's sustainable. And it would be a, a crying shame if, if Hudson-Odoi was to go over to Bayern Munich, as is expected, because... You look at how, how well people like Reese Nelson, Jordan Sancho have done over there, and it's brilliant, but why is that not happening in England? It, it doesn't make any sense. And then, obviously, on the other side of the coin, you've got Christian Pulisic coming in from Dortmund for like 50-odd million to basically play in the same position as someone they've already got who is, you know, Pulisic, you could argue, is, is more proven and tested, but he's barely played any football this season for Dortmund because the likes of Sancho are getting in in front of him and you know to spend that much money on someone who's got 18 months in his contract six months of those are going to be still spent with Dortmund is 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 a huge amount of money it's a huge risk as well and I think you know you look at the, the kind of scouting networks in Germany they're snapping up some of these younger English players and obviously you know there's decent scouting networks in 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 our country as well and in our leagues but it's a completely different kettle of fish and is it just that we've got more money to spend so we we get rinsed for the money or, or we're just stupid in doing so i think the german press have come out and said that they're surprised at the 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 purchase of, of pulisic because not only have chelsea got players who can already play in that position but he's been out of favor at dortmund recently he's not been getting the game time that people expected and I think they feel that Chelsea have overspent. I personally think that Eden Hazard will be off in the summer. I can't see him staying past this season. Um, and I think that Pulisic is probably a long-term replacement, despite the fact that they are different footballers. I think yep. that Chelsea will look to play in a slightly different way because at the moment there is so much focus on the ball getting get to Hazard. And, and, and I think that he will flourish in a side like Real Madrid or somewhere like Barcelona where the pressure is off him a little bit more. And um, I, I think it's a pivotal remainder of the season for Chelsea the issue that they've got at the moment is that they will try and get by with the players that they've got it looks like they're going to get rid of some squad players there's talks of Gary Cahill Victor Moses leaving as 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 well and I just wonder whether if they miss out on Champions League football this season they could be a real real basket case for a club over the summer because that is the promised land in terms of Premier League football if you don't get in there it makes a massive difference and to miss out two seasons running the money that's that's lost in that 
could be so costly to to the plans that Sarri has going forward. Another thing that I want to get your opinion on quickly before we move on to the next club is Sarri was interviewed after the Pulisic signing was announced and his opinion was, I was asked what I thought of the player about a month ago but after that I hadn't heard anything and now I hear that it's announced. Do you feel like that's a a sustainable way of running a football club with the manager not having any involvement in, in, in transfer dealings at all or... Or do you feel like actually football's moved on nowadays and, and, and that's that's the way that modern clubs will operate? It, it's absolute madness because uh, especially when you look at Chelsea this season, it's, it's a prime example of a manager coming in, putting his stamp on exactly what style of football they want to play. And you know going forward, you would think that he would need to bring in the individuals that fit that system. Now clearly there's somebody else or a team of people working behind the scenes to almost influence the decisions that are being made on particular players and for whatever reason that might be now you know you look at someone like Alex Ferguson back in the day that would just not happen it would simply never happen he would sign the players that he wants he would get the final say on it he would be the one meeting them he would be the one shaking hands and doing the deal and clearly that's not happening at Chelsea and I don't think it's happening at many clubs to be honest and that's a worry when you've got so you know a disjointed relationship between the, the the teams behind the managers and the managers themselves and naturally we will see more and more flop signings as a result but again does it come back to the fact that we've just got so much money to waste that you know a f- one flop in every three probably isn't a massive deal yeah i think it's a very good point we need to move on to arsenal because after losing to Southampton earlier in the month i had to get that one in there they <laughs> were hoping to finish off december in a positive fashion as well as a comfortable win against Burnley and a well-earned point at Brighton. Yep. They then lost to Spurs at home in the League Cup and they were absolutely destroyed by Liverpool. And for all of Liverpool's good work in that game, Arsenal were terrible. They they really were. Um, by far their worst performance of the season and possibly in the last couple of years as well. And that's, you know, over the, over the Wenger era where they have been relatively poor. And I, I think, you know... Liverpool were fantastic in that game and, and the, the tempo that they played at was was second to none. But Arsenal just... It, it was like watching a pub team at times. And we saw that <laughs> when they played Manchester United a, a, a couple of months ago as well. And, you know, they're the games that they have to be winning against those teams in and around them where they can really push themselves further up. Otherwise, they're just going to continue to sit at like fifth and sixth. And I think they have to get it going again as I've just said, Manchester United have, have now changed. They're behind them and they're going to be pushing them as well. And I, I think the, the the bigger picture is what we need to look at. They finished the year I think, just one point better off than they were at that point last year. And have they improved short-term, long-term argument, I suppose? I would say they're in a much better position uh, with the manager in Emery, uh, much better position with the squad as well. There is still work to do and... I don't think anyone underestimated how much work there would be to do for Arsenal. They've had a very good start to the season, um, but there is still so much work to be done behind the scenes and on the pitch that it's probably going to take two years for them to get anywhere near where they actually need to be. Yeah, you're right. I, and just to build on your point there, last year after 21 games, which is how many we've played so far, they had 38 points. This year after 21, they've got 41 I don't think a three-point improvement is enough, given that they're still three points outside the top four. They've conceded far more goals than this time last season, but to their credit, they are scoring more. And uh, kind of, <laughs> you always associate poor defending with Arsenal, and it's still a massive problem. I still believe that they need to sign a world-class centre-half to, yeah. to to make this season feel like there has been any progress. As 
And people have talked about how great Lucas Torreira has been and how they've lacked this sort of player for such a long time. But unless they can defend, having a defensive midfielder or somebody who's, who's able to link the play between the back four and the front three or four, it doesn't make a difference. I'm still not convinced by either a goalkeeper either. I, I think that Leno's done okay when he's when he's come in, but Peter Cech was, was poor early on, on in the season. And I think that leadership will start at the back. And at the moment, Arsenal just don't have any of that. Lauren Koscielny's been out injured for a long time now. And when he came back against Southampton, they looked dreadful. So I think they need to cut the losses on him. Probably understand that he's probably not going to be any more than a bit part player for Arsenal going forward and spend a decent whack of money on somebody who's going to change them as a football club there's talks of Denis Suarez coming in from Barcelona I don't really think they need another midfielder in that position I think that if you're going to spend 50 million on someone then it should be somebody who's going to improve the football team and I don't think there's any guarantees of doing that until these gaps in the defence are plugged and you know we talk about what they have already got they've got two players that are probably going to be leaving certainly one and Aaron Ramsey who seems to be touted as going to the top clubs in Europe and you know he's still 28 I think he's, he's got a decent chunk of his career left he has had injuries um, there has to be more to it though to just let him go on a free transfer and aside from him you've also got the the drama that surrounds Mesut Ozil constantly he can barely get in the team we know that he's on a long contract we know that he's probably the most paid player at the club as well and what what do they do with him they're, they're willing to let Ramsey go but Ozil just sits and does nothing and I can't see Mets Ozil wanting to go anywhere else now because he's signed this contract and he won't care whether he sits on the bench or not he doesn't strike me as the sort of footballer who's got a huge amount of passion for the club that he's playing for I think you see that in his early retirement from international football regardless of how he was treated there he made the decision to to take that step back and 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 didn't want to do that anymore and I don't really think that it's any different at Arsenal I think he will quite happily go in week in week out and pick up his wages regardless of what the results are and regardless of how many minutes he's playing on the pitch and that's a worry for Arsenal fans because that's not the sort of player that they need given that they're trying to redevelop the club into something away from what happened under Arsene Wenger the Aaron Ramsey situation is is bizarre I, I don't understand why you would allow somebody to run the contract down without getting decent money for them and it looks as though he's either going to go on a free to somewhere like Juventus which would be a, a great move for both parties or they're going to get a token fee for somebody who could probably make a difference long term to the Arsenal side the issue is Arsenal don't know who the best midfielders are they they, they don't play in, in a formation that suits all of the individuals that they've got there and they, they need to go one of two ways and at the moment I don't see that Ramsey fits the plans, I'm, I'm not even convinced that Ozil does either but trying to get rid of him is going to be incredibly difficult unless maybe a club in China or a super rich club in Turkey is, is, is willing to come in and pay those wages but for me I just can't see it. Absolutely well that's all for part one, join us after this short break where we're going to take a little trip to the FA Cup It's back! got you folks here to talk about this F.A. Cup. The F.A. Cup! That ain't no name. You need something big, like a bowl. The F.A. Bowl. The F.A. Super Mega Bowl. Man, you ain't even got no cheerleaders. Add some jazz matez. I said I wasn't gonna tell nobody, but I just can't keep it to myself. I want the rumble in Langley. The thriller in the villa. The man without imagination, he stands on the earth. He has no wings. He cannot fly. No rematches. You crazy? <laughs> Welcome back to the Sweep Podcast, and it is FA Cup fever, Michael. It is. I love Don King and the FA <laughs> Cup. I, I, I wish that they still used that, given it was, uh, I think it was a BBC advert at the time, wasn't it? We'll still use it, regardless. Good. Glad to hear it. So, 
You're right. The third round of the FA Cup is well and truly, I was going to say underway there, but it's, it's done. It's done. But it's not though, is it? Because there's still replays, and True. I think. Well, personally, I remember growing up really excited that my club had now entered the competition and there was always the opportunity of drawing a lower league team. And uh, I mean, a giant killing's great, but not when it's your club. And is the love still there for the FA Cup, do you reckon? Because it was kind of split. Saturday was crap and Sunday was amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think so. I still enjoy it. And, you know, you can't help but enjoy some of the performances from both the top sides and the so-called minnows as well. And that's, that's the beauty of the FA Cup. And that's why... It, it is and will continue to be the kind of oldest, most traditional tournament in the world, um, despite some of the changes that we'll, we'll no doubt talk about later. But I think we have to start from the first game on Friday night, and Tramia Rovers hosted Premier League challengers Tottenham Hotspur, and I think it's probably fair to say it's quite one-sided. Yeah, I mean, a seven-goal margin when you're away <laughs> from home. And it's not like Tramira a non-league side, is it? They're, no. they're, they're, they're in the Football League, and I think quite a few of their fans turned up expecting to see them not necessarily beat Tottenham, but at least give them a decent game. Did you remember who Fernando Lorente was before this game? No, I'd, <laughs> I'd completely forgotten. I know we talked about him earlier. I think that he was, <laughs> he was obviously given a chance in this game, and I, I think they said on commentary that he scored a hat-trick in the the FA Cup last season. So it's obviously a competition that he absolutely loves. And I would say he's found his level. Yeah. Uh, I think that was against Newport <laughs> Wembley last year. Um, and he's yeah he's obviously bagged a hat-trick here as well. And, you know, Sunday, saw another Premier League title challenger, score seven. This time Manchester City smashed seven past Rotherham with ease. And, you know, they were imperious and made light work of the opposition. And they played nearly a full-strength side as well, which was, was fantastic to see. I would imagine that if they had a... A more difficult Carabao Cup tie tonight. They play Burton. They might have uh, had a weakened team, perhaps. I think it's just Pep Guardiola realising that he can't go under strength. He's he's tried to do it in cup competitions before, and they've been taken to replays. You saw how much they struggled against Bristol City in the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup last season. And um, I think he's probably learnt his lesson and, and and values the cup competitions. You have to remember that they are still in all four trophies yep. they're, they're, they're still in with a chance of winning them I'm not by any means saying that that's possible but I think that all oh, the time we've got a record happened, now you've well, just yeah. said they're winning all four <laughs> <laughs> but, but all the time that you're in the competition you will be the favourite because yep. you are the best side in the country so well in terms of last season's table obviously Liverpool would probably have a decent argument against that now but I, I think it's great to see that because it shows that he's got a real appreciation for what the FA Cup as a competition means to the fans and I, I spoke about tradition before and you may have noticed that I jumped between Friday and Sunday there and that was really because there seems to be a flagrant disregard for when games are now in the FA Cup <laughs> so many games at, 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 at 3 o'clock on Saturday usually but there was many this time as on Sunday at 2 and I think even the Saturday evening ones as well which is, is absolute madness but we have to, to get away from that enough moaning and I think it's probably time for what we do love and that's some Giant killings of sorts. I think that Newport County beating Leicester 2-1 at Rodney Parade is a massive giant killing. You look at the way that Newport performed in this one and they got it tactically spot on. Not really sure what Mark Albrighton was doing <laughs> at the end. Um, just basically trying to punch the ball away and then claiming it hit his face. But you have to take your opportunities at that level and to be able to go up against a team that won the Premier League not too long ago and knock them out of the competition at, at your home ground is, is, is marvellous. And you saw from the scenes at the end it means so much to the players to the fans and, and, and the manager as well and when Leicester pulled that one back as well with 10 to go you just thought 
they're going to take them back home for the replay they're going to ruin the dream and it wasn't to be and, and you know when Amon stepped up and, and earned the fourth round tie for Newport it was just it was the glory of the FA Cup all over wasn't it it was indeed and we probably should talk about what happened at Fulham as well because there was a lot of cup magic sprinkled on Craven Cottage <laughs> on Sunday the fact that they just basically had a competition where the fans could could enter to <laughs> to be the manager for the day and the celebrations when that second goal went in were unrivaled I think across the whole weekend yeah absolutely and you know they they, they took the lead Fulham through Dennis Adoy and then you know following the equaliser from the spot from Oldham 15 to go they bring on Mitrovic and you know they desperately wanted to just win the game they don't want to replay at all and his first touch was a penalty which was saved by Everson and that you know that wasn't it and as we said you know the goal went in in the 88th minute the the manager's a caretaker who's a fan who actually had a ticket for the game with his pals and you look at Claudio Ranieri on the other side he was not happy and it was a, a good old-fashioned bollocking about why his reserves aren't in the first team and you know you wonder what's going on at Fulham really don't you yeah Peter Wilde needs a huge amount of credit and you would expect him now to probably not get the job full-time because he said that he doesn't want it he's quite looking forward to going back and watching Oldham from the stands <laughs> but um an absolute fairy tale from their point of view and and those those fans that made the journey down there on a Sunday afternoon will be more than happy with what happened and another couple of upsets when Gillingham beat Fulham's relegation rivals Cardiff at Prefield Stadium thanks to a late winner from Elliot List to see them over the line and also non-league Barnet who travelled to Bramall Lane to beat Sheffield United 1-0 and you know, much like we said about Ranieri Chris Wilder was absolutely fuming but the bees were buzzing <laughs> yes they were and and you look at how much of a difference there is between those two sides Sheffield United were atrocious they brought on Billy Sharp trying to rescue the game that didn't work and um, the the scenes at the end of the game were, were magnificent you forget Barnet are not only in the National League but they're down near the bottom of the yeah, National League so it's not like they're flying at the top of the division and, and, and the confidence was there but it's it's what the FA Cup's all about and it's great to see at least one non-league team in the hat for the uh, for the fourth round draw it's the magic of the cup and maybe not so magic of the cup where the Premier League teams are comfortable wins Manchester United and Chelsea both beat Championship opposition 2-0 at home beating Redden and Nottingham Forest respectively Arsenal had a trip up to virtually fanless Blackburn and, and won 3-0 it was Blackpool, actually. Oh, of course it was. Sorry. West Ham defeated Birmingham City 2-0 to progress. And uh, Watford obviously beat the lowest-ranked side still in the competition, Woking 2-0. There were big wins for Middlesbrough, Bolton and Doncaster Rovers. A win for Portsmouth, let's not talk about that, as they beat Championship Promotion Chasers Norwich. And AFC Wimbledon meet Fleetwood Town 3-2. And this was the game that we would have been going to as part of our Road to the FA Cup feature, but... A friend, and we'll call him that, a friend, rather <laughs> selfishly, picked this weekend to have a wedding celebration. And it's a cracking game as well. Wimbledon, with all their FA Cup history, took a first-half lead, and they then doubled this early on in the second half. However, it was Fleetwood who fired back with two goals in two minutes, 20 to go to set up a tense end to the game. And it was the visitors who left with a foot in the next round, thanks to a 90th-minute winner from Quezzy appear. It's a lovely name to say, isn't it? it is. Finally, there were also wins for Swansea City, who... Who did they beat? They beat Villa 3-0 uh, at Villa Park as well, and it was just a, a bad day all round, so I, let's forget about I it. I got the impression that Dean Smith could not care less about the FA Cup at this point. I think he tried his hardest to, to 
pretend that he did, but no, <laughs> I don't think he did at all. Um, and then you've also got Everton, who stumbled past Lincoln City, it's fair to say. Bristol City beat Huddersfield Town, which is possibly a saving grace for the Terriers. They need to concentrate on the league, you'd have thought. And oddly, out of the 32 ties, there are only four draws resulting in replays. And Southampton drew away at Derby, 2 all. They anything? did. Anything on that? I mean, Nathan Redmond scored a couple of good goals, but defensively woeful again. We let a two-goal lead slip, and the last thing that we really need at this point is another replay. The uh, the replay against Derby is actually scheduled for, to, I think, Wednesday the 16th of January, and it's been selected for television, so we all know what's going to happen there, <laughs> don't we? Uh, you've also got Newcastle, who needs to come from behind to draw with Blackburn, not Blackpool. Sheffield Wednesday drew with Luton Town at Hillsborough, and Stoke City drew with Shrewsbury. To finish off the weekend, though, we had Wolves, who, not so much a giant killing, but they beat Liverpool 2-1 at Molyneux, as we've said earlier, and fantastic strike from Ruben Neves, and Wolves would surely be looking at this competition as, as something to go for, much like the other teams that, and, and I want to get your opinion on this, those mid-table Premier League sides who really don't have a huge amount to play for. Is this the competition they should be going hell for leather for? Yeah, absolutely. I think the League Cup comes at a wrong a wrong sort of juncture for, for those sides because they don't know whether they're going to be high enough up in the league to be able to concentrate on it. And obviously the early rounds come quite early on in the season. So the FA Cup, generally you know kind of where you are by January. You've got a decent idea of where you're going to finish or at least where you want to finish. And uh, that should be the standpoint for you to look at the team and think well actually yeah we can we can afford to go full strength here and actually it doesn't necessarily matter if we lose a couple of Premier League games because we've still got a big enough gap between us and the other teams the the difficulty is the money involved in the Premier League and the the difference of two or three places can be 10 million pounds and that's where you look at your transfer budget for next season and think well actually I don't really get anything for getting into the the fourth fifth round of the FA Cup whereas if I get an extra 10 million then I can go out and sign somebody that I might not have been able to sign so it's a catch-22 but I would like to see more teams putting more emphasis on the FA Cup because look at Wigan I don't think any of those Wigan fans cared that they got relegated that season that they won the FA Cup Uh, as a Southampton fan I would take winning the FA Cup over staying in the Premier League every time you can't tell your kids about finishing eight four seasons running it doesn't really have a huge amount of gravitas attached to it whereas if you've won the FA Cup then that's a memory that's going to last a lifetime and I think that more people should consider this when approaching these games let's have a look at what next the draw was made for the fourth round and I'd say there's a standout tie for sure uh, Accrington Stanley against either Southampton or Derby Arsenal versus Manchester United and, and you know the draw the, the point of I think there were six teams left for the possibility of a Manchester Derby and a North London Derby we'll take Arsenal United uh, Crystal Palace Spurs Manchester City Burnley in the all Premier League ties as you say Accrington hosts Southampton or Derby Barnet welcome Brentford across to North East London in the Battle of the Bees and Newport and Oldham both got away ties against Middlesbrough and Doncaster respectively and I would say they've both got chances as well for us obviously we'll be keeping an eye on AFC Wimbledon who hosts West Ham in what should be a cracking encounter we won't be able to travel down that weekend but should it go to a replay who knows we might be able to take a trip to the London Stadium I really hope that Southampton get through against Derby because going to Accrington Stanley away would be a fantastic way to see our FA Cup run end (laughs) in style (laughs) it's another ground to tick off and it's not a million miles away either is it speaking of ends that's the end of our FA Cup roundup we'll be getting on it again in I think it's only about three weeks now isn't it that's right yeah exciting times exciting times ahead for us join us after the break where we'll get into the rest of the top half of the Premier League 
Sorry, guys. I, I was gonna, you know, kick it up the other end and just put one right in their fucking goal hole, but no dice. <laughs> Welcome back to the third part of this week's FIFA podcast and we're going to look at the lower half of the upper half of the Premier League starting in sixth position with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United. Manchester United, four wins out of four over the festive period, scoring plenty of goals, keeping a clean sheet. Is it a surprise? Probably not. Are they fixed? No. No? I don't think they are. I think that they've played against teams that you would expect them to beat. I know that they've kept a clean sheet, but that's their third all season. <laughs> and that's not good enough for a team who have aspirations for the top four. I think that Solskjaer has brought a lot back to the side, but I think they they will still struggle defensively. That's the, the bottom line. They don't look good enough. And I think that they need to concentrate a little bit more on that area of the pitch because the goals may flow, but they'll come up against a better side. I think the next game is against Tottenham. Yeah, it is. So, so what you're saying is Jose was right all along. No, I'm not. I'm saying that... <laughs> Unfortunately, I think that Jose put too much emphasis on the defence and not enough on trying to win games of football. The idea that Manchester United can go out there and score more goals than the other side is probably a good tactic for Solskjaer to use because he's got that sort of team available to him. The issue that they've got is defensively they're they're poor. At full-back, I don't think they're good enough. Luke Shaw's okay, but he's not really built on the start of the season that many thought he would. Ashley Young at right back isn't a long-term solution. Nor's Antonio Valencia, and uh, I just, I, I just think that Manchester United need to really have an overhaul in the summer of that defence. Phil Jones is poor. Chris Small is not very good. Victor Lindelof rubbish, and David de Gea has been left open by those in front of him. The signing of Fred was a weird one, and uh, they don't really have any protection for the back four either. And I think that's where they struggled. The front four, five players, the likes of Pogba, Martial, Rashford. Lukaku, they've all, Sanchez, they've all showed that they can be very lethal in those positions, but unless you keep clean sheets long term, it's not going to work for me. Absolutely right, and you know, we talk about those four wins that really the Newcastle game was probably the only banana skin in there, and you know, they were battered all around the park by Shelvin and his gang, really, weren't they? <laughs> um, but that said, you know, uh, they they should be winnable fixtures for certainly for Manchester United in 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 poor form, really. And I think the real test will come, as we say, Tottenham at Wembley this weekend. Of course, been drawn away at Arsenal in the cup, and you know, they could do with a trophy this season. I think it's fair to say. And you know, a game against Liverpool in February won't help them at all. And and there's the Champions League where. They've got a tough draw against Paris Saint-Germain and I wonder actually whether Solskjaer will just throw all his eggs in that basket because that will be a huge, huge coup for them. I think the main the main ambition for Manchester United this season has to be a top four finish. I think that the money that's associated with the Champions League is so much more now than it was in recent seasons and commercially they're doing okay off the pitch but the pull of having players to come to the club to play in that competition is is like no other. I think a season in the Europa League would really, really harm them and we obviously saw them win it recently but that wasn't enough to keep the manager his job after another sort of year or, or 18 months. So that's not a competition that they'll be concerned about. I think as a Manchester United fan, if you if you offered them getting knocked out by PSG in the next round and finishing top four, they would absolutely take it because it was a horrendous start to the season and it's only really for the stutter of... Chelsea and Arsenal in recent weeks that have given them a little bit more hope that they can make it into the uh, into the Champions League places. And, and we look long term. What's the ambition for Manchester United? It's it's probably a bigger question than that. But after Solskjaer has come in, we've had a little bit of time to digest it. What sort of manager should they be going for going forward? Do you think? 
I think they need to go for a, a manager who's going to be willing to not not really be scared of what's happened in the past. I think the problem with both Moyes and Mourinho was they had this shadow of Ferguson hanging over them. It was the same with Louis van Gaal. And I think you need to look at somebody who's going to be able to to not try and replicate what Ferguson did at that club, to be able to go down their own route and, and play a decent brand of football. That's also been a problem. The the great thing about Solskjaer is he's come in and he's he's attacked and people will love him for that. But ultimately, results will play a huge part in whoever they decide to bring in. I, I think that Pochettino is probably the best fit and Spurs fans won't thank me for saying it. But if he was able to do what he's done at Tottenham and at Southampton, then there's no reason why he couldn't do it at Manchester United because you'd expect he would get more money there as well. And it would just be a matter of time before success would come back to that club. I honestly don't know if they will get him though because... Like we said earlier on in the in the show, you, you alluded to the fact he wants to stay at Tottenham long term and, and whether he's just saying that for lip service to try and get the fans on side between now and the end of the season, we won't find out for, for a long while yet. But I think they need somebody who's going to be willing to take the project on and I personally think that they do need somebody who's got experience of English football. I, I think to bring a foreign manager in at this stage would, would be a mistake. Everything you've just said points to one man, and that is Sam Allardyce. So we <laughs> shall wait and see with bated breath. But let's move on to Leicester City. Top of the best of the rest, Leicester City. They'll be over the moon to be there after their festive schedule. They beat Chelsea away, Manchester City at home. However, more predictably, they lost 1-0 at home to Cardiff. and Absolute madness, and, and that kind of sums them up, really. You know, they... Begun the new year winning the seventh place cup final, beating Everton at Goodison Park. And I think the biggest thing and the biggest disappointment for, for Leicester will be the fact they've been knocked out of both cups. And you have to look at the fans, you know, they've had a, a very difficult season with what's gone on off the pitch, obviously, the tragic helicopter accident. And I think they will be dissatisfied to the point where they're going to continue to give. Clawpoel pelters throughout the rest of the season now because effectively they don't really have anything to play for and that's the disappointing thing I think it probably has been an incredibly frustrating season for them so far there are, there are obviously issues off the pitch which have probably created more problems on it Jamie Vardy has obviously complained indirectly that Claude Puel's tactics don't necessarily suit him or the squad you could argue that both ways though I think you look at the wins against Manchester City and Chelsea, they definitely showed the quality that Leicester possesses aside. But those wins came at a time where he probably relied less on tactics and more on the fitness and talent of his squad. It's a catch-22. He's without doubt a good enough manager for the Premier League. Obviously, he finished eighth with Southampton. Leicester are currently in seventh. And European football is a possibility. And, and that would represent a brilliant season given what has gone on off the pitch. I, I don't know. I mean, defensively... You would argue they are relatively solid. Johnny Evans hasn't probably had the impact that some had hoped. Jamie Vardy will need support up there at some point, and I think that they probably need to prioritise a central midfielder. The the departure of Vincent Abora means that they've, they've lost squad depth there, and I, I don't think that the Leicester squad is a million miles off what Claude Puel had at Southampton, and look what happened when they got rid of him. I, <laughs> I would say cautiously careful what you wish for, Leicester fans, as turgid as the football can be at times would you rather see that and be seventh in the Premier League or would you rather be battling relegation I, I, I personally as a Southampton fan know how hard last season and this season so far has been and 
I would snap your hand off for a, for a comfortable seventh, eighth, eighth position every year. I think you're absolutely right, and we you know we have to look at eighth place Watford, who are just so Watfordy. Um, <laughs> forget Spursy, we've got Watfordy now. You know they go away to West Ham and win, and then they also fail to beat Newcastle at home, and, and you just wonder if they'll ever find that consistency. They've tied down Javi Gracia, which is huge, and it's potentially a signal of intent to become more consistent. You know they're generally comfortable in the league now, and you know, do, do we think that that could turn around and drop off like they did last season, or, or are they very much mid-table fodder now, and that's just where they're going to be for the next foreseeable future? Well, I think that again, as a Watford fan, you take that. I listened to Miles Jacobson, the the creator of the Football Manager games on the radio recently, and he was saying actually the amount of change that that football club's had, they're all enjoying the level of consistency that that Javi Gracia has brought to the club, and <laughs> I don't know whether it's a a long-term aspiration of, of the, the Pozzo family to keep Watford in that position or whether they will try and push on. You would argue that they've got players now to to challenge the top six, but like you say, they're so inconsistent and that will be the difficulty. They're able to beat the decent teams around them and then they'll they'll pick up poor results against those further down the table. And with those sort of results in mind, the likelihood is that mid-table is where they'll be. And you mentioned those players, top six-style players. What happens if they lose them? Because realistically, they could do, couldn't they? Yeah, I think Decore's been linked with a move to PSG and I think that Pereira's also been linked with a move back to either Spain or Italy. So you take those two out the side, you would argue that they're probably going to drop down to, to maybe the the region of 15th, maybe 14th. But again, as a Watford fan, it's probably not the worst thing in the world. They won't be in a relegation battle this season. A lot will depend on the business that they do in the summer and whether they do decide to prioritise Watford rather than the other clubs that, that, that the family have under the umbrella that they own. I think that you have to give Javi Grazia massive credit. The 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 situation when he came in, they're on a downward spiral. People were saying that it's it's another Watford manager who won't last very long. Obviously, he's just signed a long-term contract. and I don't necessarily think Watford need to bring anyone in. I think it's more important for them to try and keep hold of the better players. A goal scorer could make a massive difference because Troy Deeney's great in patches but isn't able to do it all the time. And Andre Gray was brilliant this time last season, but you would argue his form's kind of dropped off a cliff a little bit. And for Grazio, he just needs to make sure that he can get performances out of these players. And if he's able to do that, then I think that Watford could quite easily finish top half this season. Yeah, I think you're right. And another side that will definitely be looking to finish top half are the Wolves, who, you know, much like Watford, for for a good result, there seems to be a bad result just around the corner, and you know they beat Spurs away, then lose at home two 0 to Crystal Palace. You just have to ask, how does that work? And I I think there's possibly a question mark over Wolves' enthusiasm for the so-called smaller games. They seem to play well against the big clubs higher up the table, and you know we saw that beating Liverpool in the FA Cup this week. I remember the game against Manchester City early on in the season as well, and you know they will be more than happy with that top half finish but they have to be winning those games against the sides around them and below them yeah it's a really strange way because most newly promoted sides come up and they struggle against the better teams and and do their absolute utmost to beat the the sides around them like you say and I think a lot of that is the mentality of the players that they've brought into that squad they're all big players or at least sort of 50% of that squad have got decent experience at the top of leagues that they've played in so maybe that's where it comes from I, I think that the 
the best signing, if you like, is is actually somebody who's come through the youth academy at Wolves this year, and that's Morgan Gibbs White. Yep. He's such a bright spark, and he's got a real eye for a pass, and, and and that's probably a player that they didn't necessarily expect to unearth this early in his career, and and you would argue that he's probably pushing the the big money signings for a starting place week in week out. And you'd say the they've they've acknowledged and recognised that the the one player they do need is a striker, yeah. uh, a goal scorer. And you know we've seen what's happened with Tammy Abraham, and he's not going there now. And I'm not sure Tammy Abraham was the right player for them anyway. They need someone with a little bit more consistency in the Premier League or, or at top level. And I wonder, you know, if they can't get that now, do they spend big again in the summer to push on? Or do they have to consolidate for a couple of seasons? I personally, again, very similar to Watford, I don't think they deserve to sign anyone Wolves. They've thrown that much money around already. It's almost <laughs> like they're the new Manchester City. And the the struggles in front of goals have come in barren patches for Jimenez. And I, I think that he deserves a lot of credit for what he's done there because he didn't start the season off brilliantly but he's chipped in with goals and I think he's handled the step up pretty well they've they've been impressive defensively they obviously don't concede too many goals either but I think the problem for Wolves is they don't have a massive amount of pace in the final third they're, they've got very intricate midfield players they're very good at linking the play but they don't have that raw pace of somebody who's able to just run at a uh, an ageing back four and Tammy Abraham may run in the right that. direction well yeah because they've true. got Traore <laughs> one dimension and that's the thing Traore's a, a great impact player to have but he's not the sort of player that you, you want to start a football match because he's so inconsistent and, and that's where I think they could do with somebody who's got a little bit more pace in a in a central position. Abraham would have given them that, but I think he's right in not leaving Villa. I think they should finish the season there. Me and too. Re- I bet, yeah. But then reassess your options in the summer. He's, he's, yeah. he's had an unsuccessful loan period at Swansea previously. He's enjoying his football. I think he's scored 16 goals or yeah. something around that mark for Villa so far. And I think it's a, a shrewd bit of business by Wolves by trying to bring him in now. But if I was a Chelsea fan I'd be quite happy to to give him the rest of the season at Villa and see whether he's able to push for a starting place at the at the bridge come the summer they have just sold a striker Benikafobi signing permanently for Stoke a record of one in four so far this season for Stoke and Wolves have looked after him for just 11 days in the summer and reportedly made two million pounds what a fantastic bit of business yeah and they will be safe obviously they've come through a bad patch and I don't think it's any real surprise that they'll they'll obviously pick up points very consistently. I, I think that Wolves are the model for any Premier League side who have got a decent amount of money now because as much as the, as they've thrown it around, they've they've got a really good blend of youth and experience yeah. in there, and I, I don't think that you can really look past somebody like Nuno for manager of the season outside the top four. Speaking of throwing money around, we'll go to 10th place West Ham next, who were in real trouble at the start of the season. Uh, so to be 10th, things looking fairly positive. They've got to be happy with that. And, you know, again, incredibly patchy to, to win at a resurgent Southampton and then crumble at stuttering Burnley sums them up, really. And I, I think you have to look at the fact they've now got Arnautovic back fit. Andy Carroll having an impact again. And, and one of the players of the season, you'll be glad to hear, Michael, finding some wonderful form in Felipe Anderson. Yeah, I picked him as my flop for the season. And um, he's done all right, obviously he? a listener to this podcast because <laughs> he's used that as his motivation to turn that early season form around. And yeah, he's been he's been pretty good. I, I don't think that you can argue with the the step up that he's made, especially since Marco Arnautovic has been missing from that side. And I know that, They've they've probably relied on Anderson a lot so far, and you'd imagine that he'll need a break out of the side because he's he's played a lot of games. Obviously, 
over in Italy, he would have been used to less games at this yep. this time of year as well. So you wonder what sort of impact that will have. And I think that that West Ham will 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 be really really pleased to have tied somebody like Declan Rice down to long term contract. Somebody so young at nineteen, but looks like he's got a really mature head on his shoulders. Does the simple things right, breaks up the play, and complements what they've got in that central midfield area. So I think that. As a West Ham fan, if you'd offered them tenth place at this time of the season when they were absolutely garbage for the first sort of three or four games, they would have taken it. And I think that they deserve credit for not only the signings that they've made, but but the way that they've approached football matches in the certainly in the second half of the season. Absolutely, you know the most important thing for them are the fans are on side again, and they are a difficult lot to please at the best of times. And and I think now they can see genuine progress and. And, and a bright future. I think one thing they do need to do is sort their defence out. You know, Fabianski in goal is, is, is good, um, but they're shaky at best at most weeks and they've got the money to spend and hopefully for them, the, the kind of growing reputation again, they, they can attract some top talent. Yeah, and I, I agree with you on this one. I think that as much as Aaron Cresswell and Pablo Zabaleta are good going forward, the fullback area for, for West Ham is, is poor defensively. They concede goals from out wide and they struggle with, with teams that play at, at, at a high intensity down the flanks. I I would actually probably go a little bit further on your point about Fabianski. I think he's been the goalkeeping sign of the season for me, probably Alisson aside. I think to pick him up from a side that was just relegated, he's done so much for that West West Ham side. He, he's come in, he's, he's managed to organise the defence a lot better. Um, he's saved penalties at crucial moments and he just looks like the keeper that he maybe could have been had he stayed at Arsenal a little bit longer and sometimes it takes that step away from the limelight to become a better footballer and and I think that they should probably also look to cut their losses with Andy Carroll he's obviously been there a long time now he's struggled through various injuries they don't necessarily play the type of football that suits his game and you could argue that he's probably only about as effective as a a big centre-half from set pieces given his lack of movement his wages could free something up for a loan signing or 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 a little bit more depth, and and I just think that that West Ham don't really need him anymore. Put him at centre half. Yeah, he could become the new Dion Dublin, couldn't he? Just moving back slowly and and eventually taking up the goalkeeping position in in a Sunday league in Newcastle and inventing his own instrument. Yes, what would that be? The Andy Carroll harp. We'll Maybe I don't know. We'll think about it. We'll get think in about touch it. Yeah. if you if you've got any suggestions for what instruments Andy Carroll could could possibly bring out, then we'll uh, we'll read them out on the next show. That's it for the top ten. We will be back after this short break with a short little trip to the FPL Fantasy Premier League and the quiz. Word of 2019: short. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> when I see your quiz. Welcome back to the final part of this episode of the Sweep Podcast. We'll be back tomorrow, don't you worry about it. But first of all, we're going to get into the Fantasy Premier League, a short trip to the Fantasy Premier League standings. Yeah, and in a month where you generally tend to lose a few players when they forget to change their team due to the fixtures piling up, I expected to be a lot higher up than I am. <laughs> but it turns out the older your mates get, the more of a priority more fantasy league get. gets. Yeah, they're, they're not going out as much and therefore missing those deadlines over Christmas. They're all just taking their time with their families to update the fantasy Premier League side. And uh, 
We need to award December's Manager of the Month, don't we, for the Sweeper Podcast Liga, another brilliantly named manager. Hey, Chandy. <laughs> if hey, Chandy. If that's your real name, hey, Chandy, do get in touch and let us know, because that's up there with Oystein Bang. Um, and his team name was Real Archimedes. They scored a whopping 398 points in the month, and it was then a tight battle for second between, I'm going to let you do this, Mitch. Bacaljoara. Bockham Cigar and Fagin. Three teams, very close, and about 20 points between them. And I didn't have the best month, scoring 327 points, 11th best manager of the month. However, I do still top the pile in the overall standings, but with a lead of just over 18 points over Hey Chandy. You love Hey Chandy. I do. Uh, me, on the other hand, I've dropped off further. After a strong November, I was the 32nd best manager in December, and I sit ninth in the overall table with 194 points, plus 1,000, 1,194 points. I'm two points above our friend and yours, the aforementioned Oystein Bang. Hope everything's good in Norway. Everyone who we've just said, get in touch with us. Get in touch with us on Twitter at The Sweeper Pod, Instagram and Facebook, search The Sweeper Podcast. Email us at sweeperpodcast at gmail.com. And while you're at it, get rating, reviewing, subscribing on iTunes. We want to see lots of reviews coming in this year. It's a big push for us this year. And we want to see you guys spreading the love and joy. Absolutely right. Speaking of spreading love and joy. Debatable. It's time for the first quiz of 2019. The current standings, I'm on 18. I'm on 10. Mitch is the Huddersfield town, currently eight points behind on 10 and uh, I got a new quiz book for Christmas with 3,000 questions in and I've taken a couple of this week's from there so I hope you enjoy them it's the same theme as it was earlier in the season it's blockbusters as ever Mitch will have the opportunity of picking up five points here your first question Mitch it's C and C is for Chelsea which Dutch international not exactly known for his ferocious tackling was sent off twice in the 2005-2006 season. I will go... Jesus Christ, that's a niche question. Well, Um, just think about it. Give yourself 10 seconds. Take your time a little bit. That should be your New Year's resolution for this year. Rather than jumping in with both feet, a la Vincent Company, have a little think. I will go for... I think Hasselbank was earlier, so and the only other one I can think of is Bodevine Zenden. Is that your guess? Yeah. It's Iron Robin. Ah, of course it is. I thought you would have got that one. A is for award. Who was the PFA and Football Writers Player of the Season in 2014-15, then had a terrible time the following year? So we are, what, four seasons ago now, that? Which which awards? He won both the PFA and the Football Writers Player of the Season. So he absolutely swept up at the end of season awards. But then the thing that you really need to take from this question is he had a terrible time the season mm. after. Yeah. Okay. So. I'm struggling with this. Think of the think of the last few few I'm years. Trying. Think of the players who've like won the Salah, the PFA Kane. Premier League award. Think who's won the Football Writers Award. Think of the teams that might have won it. I'm gonna say 
Do you want a clue? Yes. I'm feeling very generous given the uh, the start of the year. The season that he won it, he scored 14 Premier League goals. The season after, he scored four. Right. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily help. Okay. Um, Sorry. I will go with... Oh no, it's not going to be him. I'm massively stumped. Right. I'm trying to think of who won the league. My advice would be guess at somebody. Don't don't not guess at all. I'll go with Robin Van Persie. The answer is Edin Hazard. Mm. He was player of the season under Jose Mourinho when he come back uh when he come back when he came back and won the league as Chelsea manager and then the next season he basically just didn't bother. I and, was thinking uh, of league winners and I couldn't think of a Chelsea player that would have scored 14 goals yeah. and who had a bad season season after. It was Edin. Okay. S is for striker. Which striker scored Liverpool's winner in their 2-1 semi-final victory over Everton that took them to the 2011 FA Cup final? then also scored again in their 2-1 defeat to Chelsea in the final, currently playing for a side in the top 10 of the Premier League, but outside the top six. Right, okay. Uh, Do you want me to read it again? Yes. S is for striker. Which striker scored Liverpool's winner in their 2-1 semi-final victory over Everton, that took them to the 2011 FA Cup final and also scored again in their 2-1 defeat to Chelsea in that final, currently playing for a top 10 side but outside the top four. Andy Carroll. Is the correct answer. He's off the mark in 2019. We'll move swiftly on to your 50-50. Let's try and build a little bit of momentum here. G is for goals and as I said, this is your 50-50. Who has scored more Premier League goals? Yakubu Ayakbeni or Emmanuel Adebayor? Yakubu. It's Emmanuel Adebayor. He scored 97, Yakubu scored 95. A is your final question and it's for administration. Who, in February 2010, became the first club to go into administration while still in the Premier League? Oh. Good question. Thank you very much. I will go with... Bolton Wanderers. The answer was Portsmouth, who suffered a nine-point deduction and were relegated. Yeah, I thought thought the tone of my voice, the smile on my face... Who went into administration? It was brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, they suffered a nine-point deduction and were relegated into nothingness. I don't think anyone's heard of where they are, if they even exist anymore. They beat Norwich this weekend in the Cup. Let's move on. Thank you for listening to the first 10 teams in our Premier League roundup of 2018-19 season so far. We're going to get another episode out pretty quickly, aren't well, that's we? that's it. Just when you think you've had enough of us already in 2019, we're going to be back tomorrow. So download our latest episode then, and we will round up the bottom at 10. Have a little look at what's going on in the Championship as well. And Mitch will be quizzing me. I will indeed. Thank you very much. Speak to you tomorrow. Arriva Dirtshee. <laughs>